The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing, of course, we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house them in the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the moment. We do not know what his end goal is. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. Good afternoon, I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up on today's programme, Boris Johnson faces a confidence vote after at least 54 of his MPs submitted letters calling for his resignation. We'll get the latest from Downing Street. And ahead of this evening's vote, we'll also be discussing the latest polling with Kieran Pedley, Director of Politics at Ipsos. So after months of speculation at 8am outside the Houses of Parliament, it was announced that Boris Johnson is to face a vote of confidence. The threshold of 15% of the parliamentary party seeking a vote of confidence in the Prime Minister has been passed. Therefore, a vote of confidence will take place uh, within the rules of the 1922 committee. That vote will take place this evening. Graham Brady, chairman of the 1922 committee of backbench Conservative MPs, confirmed the vote would take place after more than 15% of his colleagues requested the move. The vote will close at 8pm this evening. If Johnson doesn't get the support of 180 MPs, that's half the parliamentary party, then that will start the process of selecting a new party leader. If he survives the vote, he's theoretically at least safe for another year. This challenge comes on the back of the Partygate scandal and an increasingly sour mood over missteps and U-turns in Johnson's administration. Adding to the bad news for the government, a poll in the Sunday Times from the Yorkshire seat of Wakefield suggested that Labour has a 20-point lead in the Tory-held red wall seat. Well, let's get the latest on a busy day at Westminster with Bloomberg's senior executive editor, David Merritt, and from Downing Street, our EMEA economics and government correspondent, Lizzie Burden. Lizzie, let's come to you first. We've been waiting for this a long time. Just talk us through uh, what we can expect uh, from later on today. Well, yes, good afternoon. And I'm here in Downing Street where you can see the Union Jack still all across the front of number 10. But what a hangover to wake up to after the Queen's Platinum Jubilee weekend. Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 Committee of Conservative Backbenchers, has said that there'll be a secret ballot tonight between 6 and 8 p.m. London time on Boris Johnson's future. That means he's received at least 54 letters of no confidence in the Prime Minister. But remember, just because we're having this vote, it doesn't mean it's an automatic trigger for Boris Johnson to leave. It'd take 180 votes to oust him. It's a big difference between 180 and 54. But history does say that this is the beginning of the end. Margaret Thatcher left the next day, even though she won. Theresa May left within six months. But the hope within the party will be that this vote will put the issue of party gate, the cost of living crisis, to bed for Boris Johnson, revive party unity. But, you know, if he wins the vote, Johnson might be tempted to go back to the country for a general election. And that's the only circumstance that this would affect markets, according to Viraj Patel from Vanda Research. He says, if that doesn't happen, tonight's vote is going to be a non-event from a market perspective. 
David, there was such a long lead-in to this, you know, eventual calling of the vote. We had been building up to it for such a long time. What was it, do you think, that, that kind of tipped the balance that we finally had enough Tory MPs coming to submit those resignation letters. Yes, you're right. And of course, some speculation had sort of ebbed and and flowed on this, hadn't it, for many months. And we thought we were going to get there. And then, of course, the Ukraine war happened. And there was this feeling that, you know, the timing is not right for a leadership contest. And he seemed to be safe. But there has been a shift in mood over this um, bank holiday weekend. We're just emerging, uh, as Lizzie says, from the Platinum Jubilee four-day holiday. And there was this very significant moment um, when Boris Johnson turned up to St Paul's Cathedral for the celebration of the Queen's 70 years on the throne and he was booed by the crowd and you know this should be a kind of core Tory supporting crowd you would imagine really out there to you know wearing their Union Jack hats supporting the Queen and to have a Conservative Prime Minister booed on the steps of St Paul's Cathedral a lot of people have read into that that really the public mood has soured significantly against him we of course have had the Sue Gray report um, in recent weeks and all the kind of lurid details of what went on and this suspicion that Boris Johnson has in fact misled Parliament and of course we've had MPs back in their constituencies over this long weekend presumably hearing from the doorstep or hearing from the people perhaps at their local street parties people you know surrounded by that bunting and sipping pins telling them quite how unhappy they are with this Prime Minister and maybe that is what has swung enough of them to um, to submit these letters of no confidence. David, we've got that uh, those two by-elections coming up in just over two weeks' time, one of them in a very safe seat in Devon, which the pollsters suggest, or the betting market certainly think, will probably be lost to the Liberal Democrats. What do you think to this idea that uh, some of Johnson's own supporters might have put letters in in order to get it over and done with before the news gets <laughs> even worse? Well, there are, you know, there's always a Machiavellian plan, isn't there, behind the scenes in Westminster about what, what, what's really going on. I mean, I've been hearing from sources in Westminster, MPs telling me this morning that, you know, in fact, the mood has really shifted against the Prime Minister and people who, uh, you know, were supporters for a long time have had enough. And it's because of what they're hearing from their own constituencies. But there has been a string of episodes over the past months which have chipped away at that support and people who formerly were happy to defend him I mean look stepping back remember the reason why Boris Johnson won such wide support among the Conservatives because he had this magic touch didn't he he was the Conservative who won elections in corners of this country that never voted Conservative before and if that very broad coalition is starting to crumble then you know what is the point of having Boris Johnson lead the Conservative Party anymore if he cannot hold on to these seats which are the sorts of places that they need to hold on to if they're going to maintain their position in government. Let's go back to Lizzie Burden at Downing Street. Lizzie, when, when you look at sort of the field, as it were, of people that could be standing up to try and replace Boris Johnson if this vote goes against him later, who should we be watching out for? Well, if you listen to the list of cabinet members who are publicly supporting the Prime Minister, you've got Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid as well, but remember, it's a secret ballot. So they may well be coming out uh, supporting him in public, but we don't know how they'll vote. But those are the names that will uh, likely be standing to replace him. Rishi Sunak, of course, had been the golden boy, the obvious choice before his very, very unpopular March budget uh, was deemed not to have done enough to help the poorest households through the cost of living crisis. Then you had all the revelations about his wife's tax affairs. So Liz Truss is looking 
uh, increasingly likely to be the, the top name. Um, but as David says, the mood in Britain has definitely soured against the Prime Minister. Those boos on the street, on the stairs of St Paul's Cathedral show the public mood has soured. Now, it, the fact that we're having this vote of no confidence shows that Conservative MPs have concluded it means Johnson won't win the next general election. David, what would a, a very narrow win for mm. Johnson mean this evening? So he needs 180 Tory MPs to be safe. What if he? What if he gets? 190 or something what if he just scrapes through is there any chance he's gonna do a do a thatcher and, and sort of call it a day uh, I, I mean, guess it's probably not but uh. <laughs> i mean it seems unlike i mean you know he he has not shown any um signs that he's going to step down but you know these things do tend to you know have a momentum to them don't they and of course i think leslie mentioned um uh, Theresa May did win that vote, but you know was gone within months. And if it is close, and it, if nearly half of his own MPs do come out and say they cannot back him, it is difficult to see how much further he can continue in that role. You know, there's the sort of apocryphal stories, aren't there? That the, the men in grey suits who show up at these moments for prime ministers and just whisper in their area that, that the time is right for them to step down. Will that happen with Johnson? Look, he's not an ordinary politician. We all know that he doesn't play by the normal rules of the game so it's anyone's call but um a tight vote tonight or showing a huge a, a, a much larger number than 54 people voting against him it's going to be inflict some very severe wounds on his authority and his ability to do anything and you know the amazing thing about this is he's got an 80 seat he won that huge majority 80 seats and uh, we were saying at the time weren't we when he won that in 2019 that this is a man with um, enormous power, the most power of any prime minister since Margaret Thatcher in her heyday. And, you know, just a short couple of years later, that is crumbling uh, before our eyes. So, yes, the scale of any victory tonight will be important. Um, but whatever happens, um, he, he is severely wounded by this entire process. Lizzie, you're now standing outside of Downing Street that's largely, you know, going to, going to be paralysed by this for however long it takes for the, this situation to pan out. There are other big issues pressing this government too, cost of living being one of them. What should we expect to hear uh, in terms of other issues? Is everything going to be on hold now? Uh, well, you can't put the cost of living crisis on hold. You've got inflation surging from month to month. We haven't reached the peak yet. You know, the Bank of England's expected to continue its rate hikes in the second half of the year. So that is just not going away. And it's more what the markets care about than uh, you know, the internal um, politics here at the moment, as I say. Um, the other thing that we should be watching out for are the by-elections that are coming up on June the 23rd. And it's interesting timing that we're getting this vote of no confidence now before the by-elections. Because um, as Dave said earlier, you, you, the, the Conservatives are expected to lose them. Um, there's the one in Tiverton and Honiton, which has been Conservative since the 1920s. There's the other by-election in the northern seat of Wakefield. In both cases, there are pretty sordid backdrops. Neil Parrish uh, is, has resigned after being found watching online pornography in the House of Commons. Mm. Uh, Imran Khan resigned after his conviction for sexual assault. So both those backdrops only amplify the Partygate scandal. Uh, the Liberal Democrats okay. are the bookies' favourites to win in Timberton and Homerton, but the Tories' loss wouldn't necessarily be Labour's gain. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's step out of the Westminster bubble for just a moment to get an update on the latest polling around all of this. Joining us is Kieran Pedley, Director of Politics at Ipsos. Kieran, thank you very much for being with us. We're obviously focusing on the position of Boris Johnson as as leader of the Conservative Party today. Among the people that you've polled, voters, Tory and others, how popular is Boris Johnson? So we have tracked over time since the late 1970s how uh, popular various prime ministers have been with the public but also with their own supporters and right now we currently find that 64 percent of the public overall are dissatisfied with the job that boris johnson is doing as prime minister that's from a poll taken in may and 28 percent are satisfied so what we tend to do is we look at something called net satisfaction which is just a, a fancy way of saying that you subtract one from the other And because more people are dissatisfied with him than satisfied, that gives him a score of minus 36. Now, I I bring that up because we're able to compare to sort of past prime ministers uh, going back to Margaret Thatcher. So, for example, at this point in March 1982, Margaret Thatcher was at minus 21. So Johnson's worse than than she was at that point. And when you look at, I'm not going to read out every sort of individual prime minister's ratings, but I think when you compare Johnson to past prime ministers, what you tend to find is that his ratings are, are worse than Gordon Brown's were going into the 2010 general election but they're actually sort of not that different to um, uh, the minus 30 David Cameron had in in, in 2013, March 2013. And, of course, David Cameron went on to to win re-election. So I guess the way I'd characterise it is Boris Johnson's pretty unpopular at the moment, but there's no set trajectory on what that may or may not mean for a future general election. Events take place, um, things happen, and I suppose ultimately um, we're recording this before the vote of confidence in him. you know, Tory MPs are going to have to make a judgment on whether they think he can turn it around. So, but I guess you could say sort of bad, but but not off the scale altogether. Um, has this been a, a sort of one-way street for Boris Johnson? Obviously, he was a, a pretty popular prime minister uh, when he won that landslide election. Uh, has it been a, a, a sort of clear downward path? Or obviously, the, the, the Ukraine war saw a bit of an uptick, and 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 COVID was an unusual time. Um, just talk us through how, how these ratings have moved. Well, the first thing to say, actually, the interesting thing when you when you go back to the 2019 general election, of course he won that and won that well, but his his um, his ratings going into that election weren't necessarily um, that good. Um, so he, I think he was at minus 20 in, in, in leader satisfaction ratings going into that general election, which by but historic standards isn't particularly that good. But he was facing Jeremy Corbyn, um, who was at minus 44. So you've always got to put these things in, in context in the sense that it's not just about the, the ratings of the prime minister at the time. You've got to look at what the public think of the opposition too, which maybe we'll come to later. But your, on your question, um, in terms of his trajectory, this parliament, it's obviously been, I think it's fair to say, something of an unprecedented few years, to put it mildly. I think during the COVID pandemic, his ratings tended to track how the public felt the government was handling that because it was obviously very all-consuming. 
So, for example, when the vaccine rollout took place, his ratings were pretty positive. Um, yeah, people talk about Ukraine, but I, actually it was it was in the height of this whole vaccine rollout when that was going well. But Boris Johnson tended to see some of his uh, some of his more positive um, more, more positive ratings. But what we've seen over the last sort of six months or so is a combination of a you know, rising concern with the cost of living. Um, and in fact, in, in our most recent poll for the Ipsos Issues Index, we find um, that concern about rising prices and inflation is at a 40-year high now, um, alongside, uh, of course, the controversy over so-called Partygate, and, uh, which has done real damage to um, particularly Boris Johnson's uh, ratings around trust and so on. So I think the way you can, the way you can characterise it is, you know, in the COVID world, it depended on how that was going, and that wasn't all negative by any means. Mm. Um, but now the public is starting to think about cost of living and then things like Partygate, and that's been damaging. And, well, and, and again, I, I suppose where we go from here depends on, you know, obviously if Johnson's retained, but then how the government sort of is able to draw a line under, under Partygate if it can, uh, and also how it deals with the cost of living. So how much was the Partygate issue then resonating with voters? We know that cost of living, as you say, is, is the biggest issue, but was Partygate sort of a close second or where did it come? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterise it as a close second. I, th- I think it, it was dominating the news, news agenda to some extent at the back end of last year. Um, and, you know, it clearly has done um, damage. You know, Johnson being fined and so on has led to uh, a sort of majority of people uh, in the country saying um, he should resign. There's various ways that we ask that question, but, but one is that 55% of the public think he, you know, the Conservatives should change their leader before the next general election. Having said that, when we ask people how important various factors are um, in how you judge them, actually Partygate's quite far down the list. Um, so whether Boris Johnson's been you know, um, sticking to COVID regulations or whether he did during the, the pandemic is around 10th on a list of, I think it's around 15 or so, um, factors that we that we polled, um, where the number one is cost of living. So I think you know, fundamentally it has done damage to his reputation, and we shouldn't ignore that. And one of the things that we we do find is that his critics, people that don't like Boris Johnson, are particularly animated about that issue. Now you might think that doesn't matter because they don't like him anyway. But in a future general election, when you're trying to get people to show out, show up to vote, you know if you're the Labour Party or an opposition party, you're trying to get people to show up to vote against the Conservatives. And obviously having that attack line, or don't, don't you remember what happened with Partygate, that, that could be damaging if Boris Johnson's still the Prime Minister. But again, I, I would return to the point I made a little bit earlier. I, I think fundamentally, um, whoever the leader is, whoever the Prime Minister is, let's assume it's Johnson until it isn't, you know, his government and the Conservatives are going to be defined by how effectively they are able to deal with the cost of living crisis. Um, and, and other domestic policy issues and whether they can own the future rather than sort of uh, keep arguing about the past. So cost of living front and centre. Kieran, I wonder if you have any breakdown about uh, how different groups see Boris Johnson. Is there a, a, a regional divide or, or a class divide? There's been some talk that perhaps uh, the Tories' ratings might hold up better in some of the Red Wall seats and that uh, uh, people are particularly animated about Partygate uh, in, in the South, the disgusted of Tunbridge Wells, etc. Is there any sort of polling on, on, on that kind of breakdown? So, the, so I think the polling still needs to be sort of unpicked a little bit in some of these areas. I think what we can do is look at the look at the local election results. Now, they're imperfect as a, as a, a means of studying this because we know that turnout in local elections is significantly lower than it is 
um, uh, general elections, but still, those are, those, they are real votes, and um, they do give us some indication of the way the wind's blowing. And, and it's, it's certainly true that the Conservatives had, a, had a, a problem in the South, losing quite a lot of support to the Liberal Democrats, um, which I guess reflects part of the problem they've got in the future, which is that it's not just the Labour Party that they should be worried about. Um, but in the so-called Red Wall, I mean, it was quite a complicated picture in the local elections because on face value, the results didn't seem that stunning. But actually, when you compare to when those elections were la- last took place, which was in 2018, before um, before the last uh, general election, um, when the Conservatives made all those gains, then um, you did see that there was, there was some evidence that the Conservatives falling back there too. So I, I think, look, Ultimately, it's going to, what's going to influence what happens next is, is, is how the government can respond to some of these issues that I've mentioned. Um, I don't think there's a smoking gun in terms of one area of the country or one demographic will win or lose things um, for the Conservatives and Boris Johnson. It, it's going to be how, how, can he, um, how, how can he address the issues that are most important to voters. And how, how, does, how do the Conservatives perform in polling in terms of their handling of cost of living versus other parties? So one of the things that we um, we ask is whether how much you um, you trust um, the Conservatives, Labour, and and some of the other parties on on that issue. Interestingly, what we find is that on the reducing um, you and your family's cost of living, the Labour Party actually holds a 15 point lead over the Conservatives on being most trusted on, on that issue. So 37 <clears> percent trust the Labour Party the most, and 22 percent trust the, um, the Conservatives. Having said that, there are some signs of recovery for the Conservatives on this. So, for example, at the beginning of May, we found that three-quarters of the public, 76%, thought the government weren't doing enough to support people for the cost of living crisis. But um, in a recent poll we took after Rishi Sunak announced um, several measures to try and deal with that, um, that fell from 76% to 49%, thinking the government aren't doing enough. So, look, still, still not good that ha- almost half of the public think that the government aren't doing enough on the issue, but it's, it's trending in the right direction, if you like, uh, for the Conservatives. But Labour's sort of more trusted. The, the, other, the other positive, if you like, for the Conservatives is that on, on growing the economy, they actually retain a nine-point lead over Labour, so 36% to 27%. And I guess there's a few different numbers there, but this, you are starting to see the shape of what a future general election campaign might look like. On the one hand, Labour know that the cost of living um, crisis is, is, is a plus for them, if I could put it in those terms, that they're, they're more trusted on that. Mm-hmm. People think that they'll help uh, their families through it more than the Conservatives. But at the same time, the Conservatives will try and make the argument, I imagine, that without economic growth and without sort of sound fiscal management, then um, you, know, you, you can't address the cost of living. And th- these are, that's some territory where the Conservatives uh, tend to poll a little bit better. So... Now, we don't know which way that argument will go, but it's one of those classic examples of how parties try to define the exam question, if you like, going into a general election, and which side, which element of cost of living and the economy and so on the public think is the most important may well define who wins the next election. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.